I'm Andrea Zabo and you're listening to an Elephant Shoe podcast. Hello and welcome to our podcast today. Well, Maureen is with me, Maureen Daniels, who is a retired psychologist, and we are going to be talking about nature and nurture. So we're all individuals with lots of differences. Are they intertwined? Are they separated? Can you separate them? And over the years, we're even told that if you've got something in your genes, in the family heritage, you're stuck with it. Well, is that true? Are you stuck with it? If we're predestined with a genetic disorder that runs in a family, does that mean it's going to happen? So today we're going to unpack that for you. Hello, Maureen. And hello, Andrew, and thank you for having me back. Now, you may have noticed in our last episode, I had Maureen with me. She is a retired psychologist here on the Gold Coast, and she has joined me again today. That's why you're here today, is to talk about these genetic factors that determine the physical and behavioral characteristics of the person and how this biology of eye colour and height and whatever can't be changed, but how we can perhaps change other parts of our behaviours. Nurture, nature, nature, nurture. There's no clear way to look at someone and make any conclusion, is there? No, not really. It's a complex interplay between what's in our genes and what's in our environment. Obviously, there's certain things we're influenced by uh, with our genes and we have no say in it, such as hair colour, eye colour, to a large extent, stature. So we know genes come from nature, okay? They're passed down from families, from the lineage of your heritage. And then nurture is the environment, the parenting, and those two things influence the outcomes of our lives by presenting in certain ways. Physically, yes, we can't help that we were born into a short stature family or weight actually also is is genetic, apparently. So all these things that we think we're stuck with, we're not really stuck with them because we do have some form of control. Uh, we now find that genes, a lot of the genes are actually a potential of what we could be and it depends on what's going on in the environment. There's a a, a wonderful professor called Dr. Bruce Lipton and he talks about the biology of belief and he was one of the pioneers or one of three pioneers in America in the late 50s who were cloning um, stem cells and he would clone a stem cell which was from the one particular uh, source and put them in different petri dishes and put the environment around that one cell that came from the same source and watch how the environment changed the development of that stem cell. So I see that we know that both nurture and nature contribute to people's development, but the worst thing that people can do, as you said, is just believe this family story that diabetes is in my family, well, there you go, I've got it. Exactly right, exactly right. In the physical medical sense, there's lots of things we can do about it. If we've got cardiovascular disease runs in the family, for example, there's a lot of choices we make in lifestyle choices that can have a bearing on how that gene may express itself by changing our diet, not smoking, not drinking too much, what you know, being fitter, all of those types of things. We can actually change our destiny in a sense. Um, I was just thinking of 
a family with a long line of aggressive people and in the subsequent, say, the, the latest generation, you may have some children grow up with that same aggressive streak, if you like, that trait, which may or may not be genetic, may or may not be environmental. But you'll have another child in the same family who will actually be the opposite and be quite passive. So that gene, that aggressive gene, has not been turned on in that child. It was there, uh, but it has not been turned on by essentially a very similar environment. Yeah, because a lot of people say, my sister's so different from me, but how can that be? We grew up in the same family. Yes, but each child in the family grows up in a slightly different environment to the one that came before it, if you like. Yeah, I suppose the pecking order of families from the youngest to the oldest or the oldest to the youngest, that's going to influence? Oh, it, yes, it certainly would. But if you start off, you've got the, one, the first child is born and for a period of time it is an only child. So that is the environment that that child gets its kickstart in. The next one comes along and that child, the older child, is often displaced a little bit and uh, then... And so it goes down the pecking order of children. The environment varies. The mother is a different mother over that course of that raising those one, two, three, four, five children. Oh, yes, and by the time she gets to the fish, she's over it. <laughs> and I guarantee that the fifth child is usually the most independent. Um, now, it's important to keep in mind that, yeah, we're talking about that environmental factor and how it intertwines with the relationship and the complexity of the fact that environment as well as genetic predisposition interplay. And people do see it as a blueprint, then that's it. But there's so many speakers out there that, well, Deepak Chopra is the biggest one. It talks about you can change your DNA even. So this is what we're talking about today also, taking responsibility, choosing what you want to experience and working out what is the best way to achieve that. So to do that, I just know personally through working with clients and myself that the way to take responsibility is one, recognize something that doesn't work for you and find out where you are in that experience, what you're responding to and how you're responding and look at how that changes instead of pointing the finger. Yes. So I feel it's giving power away when you start blaming, it stops you from taking ownership of what you're feeling and what you're experiencing and what you can change. Uh, yes, I'd, I'd agree with that. And I think when you do that and start to believe that that blueprint, and I'd even say blueprints are open to being able to change, but when we look at it just, just the nature side of things and say, oh, it's in my nature, it becomes a predestiny. I don't aspire to predestiny. I think that we're able to change. And that's what this is about, accepting our responsibility, our ownership and feeling freer to be able to do it. So we've talked about the what it is, nurture, nature. We've talked yes. about why uh, we're postulating that you can actually change part of your nature with certain methods. So we need to just talk about what those methods are. Well, we've touched on one of the steps and that is seeing it it's you you have the power to do something about this it's not everyone else's when we say responsibility we're abdicating our own personal power and we're making someone else's fault but at the same time that's coming at a personal cost to ourselves but once we start to say this is actually my responsibility I don't like what's happening whatever it might be what can I do to change it would have to be the very first step in in being able to make change okay so you've recognized we touched on the fact that you might like something about yourself there's what you think it's either your nature or your nurture, whatever it is, whatever the source is, and that you um, recognise that you don't like that side of your nature. How do you go about changing it once you've recognised? 
Uh, one of the things that comes to mind is uh, a, a past client of mine who, um, to get her needs met, would would show her anxiety increasingly, so that people would all start to fuss around her and, oh, you know, don't don't do this, don't do that, because mum gets upset. Mum, you know, mum's got this anxiety thing. We have to protect her. Uh, and on one hand, that got her needs met to a certain extent, but on the other, it's actually quite abusive of the other people because she's manipulating people to get her own needs, you know, to get her own needs met. Um, a small example of that is uh, your, say, daughter or your child is going out to a party that night and you say, you need to be home by 11 o'clock because you know I don't go to sleep until you come in. Now, that is really to alleviate the mother's anxiety. She's controlling the child's behaviour. Now, two adults are going to negotiate a time to come home, but not almost blackmail, almost emotional blackmail. I had one lady who came to me and she'd become increasingly distressed over time trying to get her family, she wasn't aware of it, but trying to get her family to, um, to, you know, to do her bidding. And she went to bed for four months. And at the beginning of that, people were paying attention to her and poor mum. But after a while, they stopped giving her any attention at all and they just backed off. And basically her means of getting her needs met just didn't work anymore. And that's when she came to see me. And she was quite blind to this at the time, that that's why she was doing it. Now, she had learned that behaviour over a long period of time, no doubt. And it had worked for her. To a greater or lesser extent, it had worked for her until it just didn't work anymore. So her journey was to be aware of that very process and start to get her needs met in a healthier way. So whether we're learning something from our environment or our religion or our parenting, community, financial upbringing, socioeconomic environment. So whatever it is, recognising what's working healthily in your world and what's not is the first key into having the ability to alter behaviours that are unhelpful. Obviously, we keep the things that work well for us. Um, but the, the things that aren't working well uh, or other people are bringing to our attention, they're the things that we can make our conscious choice of doing something about. We've all got behaviours that possibly are working for us. If you're a control freak, everything's going to work for you because you're controlling it completely. Mm -hmm. But recognising in that blind spot that being a control freak or someone that needs to have control all the time is unhealthy, what do you suggest that people can do to recognise behaviours that they think are working but they're not in the big picture? People work with whatever their coping mechanisms are and they get to the stage where they're not working anymore and they feel what well, they get frustrated, they get upset, they, you know, just, it's not serving them well anymore. And I think the important thing is, and they feel stuck and they feel, you know, I can't change. And I think that's the important message for today is saying that people can. This isn't written in, it's not set in concrete. You can change those ways. You can find more effective ways to live and interact with people. Still have choice. So on that note, we're choosing to say thank you very much for hearing our little podcast today. Last Friday of the month, thank you, Maureen, for being here. Pleasure once again. And we'll be here another time. Love and light.